Hello. Hey. Welcome to Ergo. You are here. What we do here is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. I'm Damon. I'm Kiss. And we have a very special episode with you. It's a continuation of our partnership with Black Youth Project. Go check out blackyouthproject.org right right now. It's an amazing website. And through our partnership, we've been doing a, a year-long spotlight series, but we also had this special live event series called Unelectable. So three times between now and the general election in November, we are bringing our people into rooms together to talk about the connections between electoral politics and radical imagination. How do we move the ideas that can most fundamentally transform our world into the capital P political space? So for this first one, we were at the Silver Room in Hyde Park with some very, very special guests. Who was there, Dame? We had the amazing Stacey Davis Gates, the amazing Jeanette Taylor, and the amazing Asha Ransby Sporn, who served as our co-host. It was a fantastic evening of conversation. We got the audience involved. We had a technical nightmare before it started, just so that you'll know what we were working with, where the board didn't work. And if you ever want to see a flustered Daniel and a very patient but concerned Damon... (laughs) 715 at the Silver Room on February 26th was a good place to be. (laughs) But we prevailed, and it was an amazing (laughs) night. And on that night, like we will this entire series, uh, we made space for the political beliefs, positions, ideas, and ideologies that are so often marginalized and dismissed in mainstream discourse. Um, So we used the national election, even though we weren't talking heavy about the primaries or the presidential race. Uh, But we used that as the backdrop to have a very community-focused, movement-driven, political conversation. So let's talk our shit here on Ergo with our first in a three-part series called Unelectable. Let's get it. If you love yourself, say I know that I'm beautiful. I know that I'm beautiful. This time, like you mean it, say I know that I'm beautiful. Now look at somebody, say I know that you're beautiful. If you love your people, say I know that we beautiful. Make some noise for yourselves. You believe the words just came out of your mouth. Welcome to the Silver Room here in Hyde Park, Chicago. I am Damon. I am Kiss. And together we make air go. There we go. Feel free to stroke our ego at any point. Of this I really, w- I would have settled for a solitary woo. That's all I ask. Just a, su- it's fun. So you were at Unelectable. This is the first of a three-part series we're very excited to launch. And we want to have dialogue and conversation about radical imagination and the things we believe in politically that so often get marginalized or not included in mainstream conversations or are deemed unelectable. We are not doing this alone. We are doing this with the loving support and partnership of the amazing Black Youth Project. Make some noise for Black Youth Project. BlackYouthProject.com, an amazing site. Visit it. Open up your browsers. Click on it. Go read some things. It's an amazing platform. You have them bookmarked? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Highlight it. All the stars. That's the the homepage. Yes, every day. It is an amazing platform uh, where the issues that black people, young and old, in this city and in this country and around the world abroad are talking about whether it's politically, culturally, cultural, current events, and 
we have someone here to talk a little bit more about Black Youth Project. Everybody make some noise for Terry, who's gonna discuss our partnership with BYP. Hello, hello, how are y'all doing? Good, good, good to hear. Again, my name is Terry, and yes, I am here representing Black Youth Project. As some of you may know, Black Youth Project is an online space where young Black people are speaking freely and for themselves without censorship. It is a space where young Black people are constructing liberatory politics that includes debate, critical discourse, education. And towards these goals, this is why we part partnered with the excellent people at Ergo to sponsor amazing conversations both online and offline about topics that have remained critical to the lives of young black people. And when we say young black people, we mean all young black people. So this means cisgender, transgender, gender nonconforming, and the range of identities that black people I identify with. So thank you for coming out and y'all have a good night. Woo! Make some noise for Terry. She described that so much better than I did, right? I just That's said it was funny. a great site. But look at, listen to all those details. <laughs> and also one thing I want to say about our partnership with Black Youth Project, right? Like, we see the room. Everybody in here ain't black. It's all right. Don't be uncomfortable. You're here. <laughs> You're present. But, Thanks, Dana. <laughs> but I want to speak to the fact that when we're talking about politics, right, we want to center the most marginalized. And when we talk about politics, we also want to talk about liberation. And so at the intersections of that marginalization and oppression, but also leading the charge for liberation, a black-centered political consciousness is what makes the best things in the political arena. Historically, within the last 10 years, within the last 100 years, and the last 400 years. So if you don't happen to be black, that's okay. You should still listen up. My PSA for the day. <laughs> the right. more you know. Um, so what we're going to do here today is we're going to be in conversation with some wonderful guests around the idea of protecting the public. Woo! Make some noise for that. Let's make some noise for the public first and foremost. Before we get to that, we want to introduce something that's going to be a constant throughout all three of these events. So basically what we're building over this three-part series is an unelectable platform. You want to tell them a little bit about what that means? So... There's a lot of things that we believe in, in terms of how our systems, institutions, and structures should be organized, that particularly mainstream media and platforms are not possibilities, and therefore we should not pursue them because they are. Right? And so that is, <laughs> and I get just as unenthused as that sounds whenever I hear that word. Um, and so we want to make sure that we are forefronting and centering the things, particularly as young people, that we believe in about the world that we want. So what we want people to do today in this space and whenever we gather talking about the politi our political reality, we want y'all to talk your shit. Okay? So what that means is we're going to build a group-centered political platform through the course of this series from people talking their shit. So what we're going to do is I'm gonna say, can I talk my shit? Talk your shit. That's everybody, right? I'm everyone in that instance, but that's only the one instance of representation. <laughs> Everything else is participatory. <laughs> and then the, the sentence is, is phrased like this. I believe in dot, 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 but I know that is unelectable. So I'm gonna model, here we go. I believe in participatory democracy and collective self-governance. However, we live in a city where 51 people make the decisions for 2.7 million people. We live in a state where about 180 or so people make the decision for 12 million people. We live in a country where 536 people make the decisions of the resources and the laws that govern us all. That mathematically is not democracy. What we live in is a republic and we are represented. Our voice is represented and I wanna make more structures where people can be present, right? And I know that is unelectable. 
that was really good. <laughs> but here's the thing. Not everyone is going to have like a like an answer prepared. Like we we I spent cheated. some time on this. We we yeah, we came up with one. So, let, let's give another example and, and this is, you know, in the range from what I say to what Damon says, an acceptable answer. Try it out. Can I talk my shit? Talk your shit. I believe in a world in a city where access to natural space and the environment is not dictated by zip code and access to fresh water is available to all for free. And I know that is unelectable. Woo, all right. So we're gonna take a few minutes and let you guys talk to each other. And before you report back, we want a few people to talk your shit. Is that cool? All right, so if you will, turn to your neighbor. And we're gonna take about three-ish minutes on this. Yeah. And you're gonna ask each other to define the public. When you share back what you came up with, before you share your answer, you're gonna have an opportunity to talk your shit. All right? All right, so take about three minutes, go. All right, finish your thought, sentence, phrase, word, sound. Just a little heads up, this is a, a space about participatory democracy. So we, <laughs> we showed need, up. We gonna need some participants. All right. If you don't want to participate, just go to the poll. Like, do your thing there. <laughs> Anybody want to share what they just heard? Got one right there. Can I talk my shit? Talk your shit. I believe it is a human right to have health care and housing, but that is unelectable. Yay. <laughs> and going off of that, our definition of the public that we came up with um, is that the public should be the people, and that is all of the people. Um, and we, when we talk about the people and representing all of the people and making sure that all people have their basic needs met, there's good things when we think of public, like public schools, uh, public utilities, public control of things, participatory democracy, but then there's other things that sound good when we're talking about the public, but maybe not, might not be as good, like public safety. Um, sometimes when people, especially in this city, talk about public safety, they're, that public they're thinking of might not be all necessarily all of the people. Um, so just keeping in mind what policies are good for the public and to find the public as all people, basically. Cool. Give it up. Two more. What else did Joe hear? All right, so um, can I talk rosy shit? Talk rosy shit. <laughs> All right, so Rosie believes um, that we should reclaim the land, we should protect the natural world, and we should center those who are most vulnerable. But that is unelectable. Hell yeah. Cool. Any other definitions of the public that y'all want to share? Hi, everybody doing this evening? Hello. Everybody's okay? Thank you for asking. Oh, no, no problem. You know, you got to <laughs> ask. You know how everybody doing, you never know. You know, it's just good to ask. Um, so as far as defining the public, and this is just my personal opinion, um, I feel like as a whole, um, a lot of us come from impoverished backgrounds. And I feel that um, certain officials, because I can't say all of them. Um, <laughs> I love you. But anyway... <laughs> Um, you know, I I feel that uh, we all come from um, a, a background where, um, you know, a lot of us are poor. A lot of us, 
not so much as poor knowledge, but, you know, resources. We come from poor resources or we come from um, a, a lack of resources. I'm not good at talking. But you know what? We all broke starving and gangbanging. It's terrible. It's a terrible situation, and um, hopefully we can define the public on a better level. I don't know. I think what we just heard is how confusing this concept can be, and I think that is very accurate. All right, so we have a very special guest host and facilitator with us today that's going to help us have these conversations um, and just has so much to offer as an amazing organizer, an amazing thinker, and someone I truly respect and admire, and we've had on the show recently as a part of our BYP Spotlight that everyone should check out. Everyone, please, please, welcome to the proverbial stage, Asha <laughs> Ransby Spawn. That's what I'm talking about. That's the type of energy I'm trying to see. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, y'all. Hey, hey, hey. Go, Asha! Woo! (laughs) So would you care to talk some shit? Yes. Can I talk my shit? Talk your shit! Um, So I believe that the police don't keep us safe. um, And that is unelectable because we live in a society that equates public safety, like you were talking about, with policing and violence and prisons and things like that. So how about the second question that we started out with? How do you define the public? Um, so, yeah, I define the, pub- the public as um, the people in whatever community that we are in um, and the people who are represented by or living within the same like political, geographic, whatever space and systems. So what you're going to do with us today, I mean, you know this, but so that everybody knows... <laughs> Um, We have two very special guests, and in addition to uh, an interview that the three of us are going to conduct, Asha is also going to be facilitating, coming out of each interview, some group conversation around the themes that emerge that relate to this idea of the public. So Asha is going to be joining us as a co-host. Can we get one more round of applause for Asha today? Thanks for having me. And a standing O. Shout out, Big Tree. (laughs) Appreciate the love. All right. Now we're going to bring, once again, to the proverbial stage, uh, an historic figure, someone that I'm sure, if you saw the flyer, is why you're here today. Um, she is not only an organizer, uh, but she is a person of the people, and she is doing that at the seat of power. Everybody, welcome to the stage. All the woman, Jeanette Taylor. <laughs> And we could take a seat. Hi, Jeanette. Hi. Thank you for being here. You're more than welcome. First off, would you like to talk some shit? I would like to talk my shit. Talk your shit. Yeah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So I am probably the, the most unelectable person in the city of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> so the thought that I'm in the space, I always wake up and have to find stuff that reminds me that I'm actually an elected official. And that shit is scary. <laughs> <laughs> what do you turn to to remind you? Like, like, what, is it like when you walk into the council chamber? Like, where, when are you like, oh, oh hell, damn. that's the part I hate. <laughs> so I love serving my community. I just, I do love to be in a space where you can help people with the smallest things is getting the garbage picked up or making sure that they're not overcharged on their water bill or making sure that their landlord is held accountable for their living conditions. I hate City Hall. <laughs> it's like the devil's den. They are so full of shit in City Hall. It's, <laughs> it's bad. It's 
they work in silos and that has not worked for our city as a whole. And so you would think that these departments work together and they actually don't. And so if you ever watch me online, somebody is always texting me like, could you smile? Could you <laughs> could you look up at the camera? Because I'm like, you know how when it's the last 15 minutes of school and you ready yeah. to go because you got something to do? Or for me, it was like, I got that piece of cake in the refrigerator that I'm going to eat as soon as I get there. And so that's how it is for me. I'm ready to go because they make it so hard. Like it's not it's. It's not hard to make policy that helps a group of people but hurts another. And you know you're doing it. And historically, that's what that building means to me. So it's the devil's pit. And so the day after the election, on my behalf, because I thought after you was elected, you're supposed to go to work. So after we were sworn in, I went to City Hall the next day. And nobody was there but my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, this is what work is going to be like. But what I noticed was in every department or every person that I saw, they like, can I pray with you? And I'm like, these are praying this damn people in the world. <laughs> I know why now they wanted to pray over me because... I am the token black girl to mm. some extent down there. Mm. I, they call me firecracker because I say all the shit that people are thinking and they just won't say. I cannot be in this space and not speak my truth and not say what our people think. I'm just not going to do it. And it's more than just a job for me. Like if you would asked me two years ago, would I be an elected official? Hell no. Them lazy fuckers make $120,000 a year. They get a pension for the rest of their life. We got good health insurance. <laughs> Y'all done pay for my nice glasses in my bag. And you can't even find them. They, they're not accessible. They ignore you. They run from you. I give people my personal cell number. Why? Because you elected me. You didn't elect my staff. And we got to have these personal connections. Harold Washington created what this is supposed to be like, and we fucked it up. Hmm. We did. I say. So you went in there as a fighter, as our fighter. Um, you went in there for movement, and I think uh, one of the fights that's been most important has been the CBA agreement around the Obama presidential Center. For those listening at home, your eyes just went through the roof. I know. <laughs> so for, for those who might not be aware or might not know like what's happening currently, what's the update of what's going on? And from your opinion, so I know currently, the So oh, for those who know, they're going to be the Obama Presidential Center in Jackson Park, and it directly impacts the Woodlawn community, which I represent about 90% of it. And for those of you who don't know my story, I once lived in Bronzeville. We called it the low end. You know, they're good at giving stuff fancy names <laughs> to make you feel better about where you're moving. So I was moved out of Bronzeville to Woodlawn. And when I got to Woodlawn, I moved there like maybe three days before the baby got killed. Does anybody remember that? That six-month-old baby that was in the van with the father and they shot the van up and the baby got killed? We had just moved there. And my kids called the block Murder, Maryland, because we live on Maryland. That's what they called it. And so it's like with any new experience. It's like we're going to a new school. You're scared. You kind of don't know what to expect. I had five kids. Because the rents were so high everywhere else in the city, my mother, who was a CPS clerk, had to, we had to move in with each other because we couldn't afford to move anywhere else. And so it's like in this new community, I'm nervous about what's going on. The last four aldermen of the 20th ward had been to jail. So that was another thing that was kind of crossing my mind. And after the shooting, I had a conversation with Alderman Willie Cochran, and he didn't know who I was. Um, and I, at the time, I took my 10-year-old daughter, who was now 17. So I'm telling him that I'm afraid, and the response that the police kind of made, um, 
I didn't respect and just telling him how. And he's like, how long have you lived here? And I was like, well, we've only been here about two weeks. He said to me, you're being very critical to just move in the community. And so while he's talking shit to me, the person who pay your check, because see, we forget that they work because we pay for their checks. Y'all know them tax dollars y'all, y'all spend it. We're paying those checks. And so as he's talking, I'm pulling out because at that time I was the education organizer for Coco. And so shout out to Coco. Absolutely. <laughs> shout out to Coco. Um, and as he's talking shit to me, my 10-year-old daughter's like, he don't know what he who he talking <laughs> She's to. She's like, I tried this right? exact like, tactic, it did not work. <laughs> and she was like, You want me to leave? Nah, baby, you need to see this. So I gave him my <laughs> car and I was like, unless you want these burgundy shirts in front of your fucking office, you need to respond to me with some respect. You're in this seat because people elect you. Now let's make it clear. I didn't vote for your ass. But while you're here, my tax dollars pay for you to be here. And so you should respect the people who are coming to you with a problem and at least act like you care. And I walked out his office and I was just like, disheartened. Because I lived in Alderman Dow's war. And I tell people all the time, we had a love-hate relationship. I love to ask her for shit. She hate to see me coming. <laughs> but it happened. She was that type of elected official. So she made it happen whether she wanted to or not. Because she understood that I came with a base of folks um, who would challenge her. And so she would be like, get these people what they want. So get their ass out of my office. I like that in an elected official. That's like the best case scenario. The as, best. As someone doing movement the, work with an elected official. I can't even tell you the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario was I was on a hunger strike. We went down to City Hall and Walter Burnett was walking out the building. And I said, hey, we're on a hunger strike to save our school. And he was like, it ain't in my ward. And I'm embarrassed to say that I told him, you better be lucky I don't got a car because I'll put you in the trunk of it. Yeah. <laughs> and drive you to my ward. And yeah. then it's your problem. Exactly. Yeah, that was... I was like, whoo, I was hungry then. He looked like a cheeseburger. So, you know, the cartoon where people started like cheeseburger and hamburgers. That's why I was in the hunger strike. So, and when I, he, he remembered, but he didn't remember that he was like, I like you. I was like, Walter, I'm sorry. I, I meant what I said. No, I, I meant what I said about what you don't never tell. You never tell people that you're not in my ward. Because as an elected official, we're responsible for what happens in the city. And so that should never be the response. Um, so just to follow up on a little bit of what you started talking about around displacement, which is, you know, a, at the heart of the fight around the CBA. You talked about your own experience. Um, and then now being in the position of being an elected official. Um, and we're talking about this idea of the public, right? So you, rep you represent constituents of the 20th Ward who are facing potential displacement. And it's, you know, even broader than just your ward, black folks um, are being pushed out of the city of Chicago. So how do you deal with that, right? That the people who you now represent may not be able to stay in the ward or even potentially in the city. Right. And that group of people is kind of changing. What does it mean for you to like represent the public or who do you see yourself as representing even when that literal body of people is is changing or moving i ain't no different from them them seven hundred thousand dollar homes they building in my ward i can't afford that i'm not interested in home ownership i've seen the city where people pay for their homes right out and they took them because of taxes and so i'm not gonna change woodlawn is a has a 60 year history of turmoil when it comes to housing we're going back to the black peace stones we're going back to when they set houses on fire because they didn't want a group of people to live in 
I ain't been there yet. It's not going to be fixed in a year time. And so we need time to work it out. But time is also of the essence. And so I'm going to stand for those people because I don't see myself any different than the people I represent. Now, they got some bougie folks who say they don't want no more affordable housing. But we ain't even defined affordable. Everybody always thinks affordable is Section 8 and CHA vouchers, which ain't nothing wrong with that. I wish I had Section 9 or 10 or something because I'm just paying $1,000 just for rent. That ain't lights, that ain't gas, that ain't kids, that ain't husband, that ain't cat, that ain't cookie because I like cookies. And so... I'm struggling and, and I make a little bit more money. And so I don't see myself any different from those people. And I'm not going to go alone to get along. I didn't go down to City Hall to go, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. It's hell no. That's not what we're going to do. And we can do what's right. And why when it comes to black working class poor, we can't never get it together. They continue to build shit downtown. Think about this. $25 million came from the 20th Ward TIFFs. We got six TIFFs to build the Wintrust Theater, DePaul University, and Navy Pier. I didn't went to the Wintrust three times and I asked them every time I go, why the hell am I still paying for tickets? I bought this shit already. <laughs> I should be able to get in for free. You got your box seats, your Exactly. But for those projects, we could port dollars, but they're only going to put $10 million in protecting the class of people who are currently in my community and that ain't good enough. It's just not going to get enough. So I can ride by myself. I came by myself in this world and I'm going to leave by myself. And so I do not care about challenging the powers that be. I don't agree with Lori, and we've agreed to disagree, but they got to come with some better numbers when it comes to the CBA, and I'm holding out for that. And the one thing that they ain't realize is I'm an organizer, so I'm not coming alone. Don't, don't think I'm by myself. Talk, talk a little bit about that. How does the organizer's ethic in that seat change the way you function? Because you deal with people on stuff that you agree with and on stuff that you don't, they can be on their way. It's like being a coalition. We all have been in coalitions and people take their different parts and they say, hey, I could get along with that and I can't. But around the city, we're having a problem with housing on a whole. So the organizer in me says, get the coalition for the homeless, get shy, get all those organizations together, along with those elected officials who are fighting for that. And then we go, you either give it up or you're going to lose your votes. I, I got a vote in City Hall. I got a strong voice there. The Black Caucus historically has never voted together. Think about this. For marijuana, we got 16 votes. That's never happened. But that comes from us saying, let's be in a caucus together and use our vote and use our leverage. And so that's what we're doing in City Hall. And it takes time because they ain't never had no organizers there. They've kind of fended for themselves. And so it ain't enough for me to get a piece of the pie. Everybody in here got to get a piece. So to that point, what are the tactics or organizing strategies that you've seen work out in the rest of the world that have been useful or you've uh, given a shot at working with these uh, these other officers. So it's just from where I come from. I worked in college. We worked in, in education. So I came from education organizing for those folks who don't know me. And so at COCO, I went from being the parent leader to the parent organizer to the education organizer. And so when you organize with those parents, you have personal relationships. So I used to have to hear about the husband, the baby daddy, the kids. And some nights I'd be like, why the hell is she calling me? But it's relationships. That's been lost in this political realm. We don't build those relationships. So what I'll say to everybody here is it ain't enough to get us in office. You can't fucking leave us. And some of y'all didn't just walked away. Oh, we got it there. I, I'm, I'm looking at some people. <laughs> they didn't just got us there and just walked away and then get mad when they can't find you. Cause I'm somewhere pulling out my damn hair going crazy. 
You all cannot leave us. I said when I ran and when I knocked doors, I knocked 80% of my own doors. Yeah, it was hard, too, because my ass wasn't used to walking or doing none of that. I'm used to being drove around. But I knocked 80% of my doors, and what I said to folks is, it's not enough to elect me. You got to go to City Hall with me. They doing a lot of stuff with y'all money, and we doing this. Oh, we got our 11 people there. We got our 10 people that are progressive. That ain't 26. We need to start now with 26 people because that's the only way you're able to control it. Us 10 people voting no on the budget, people were like, <laughs> it didn't do shit. It did absolutely nothing but show that we are progressive, but it didn't do nothing for the people. What it did was give the police another $151 million of your dollars for them not to protect you and for them to shoot brothers and sisters that look like me down the street. That's what it did. And so we got to be in them spaces. You got people who are commissioners that make more than me. And what I have to remind them of is I'm elected. You're appointed. Don't forget that. This is really important. Just hearing from you about what you need from us. And us meaning the movement, the left, black people in Chicago, the people in this room. So what do you need us to be doing as like, you know, movement folks, outsiders, what else do you need to be in place in terms of other folks getting elected? What else do you need in order to be able to advance like a truly people? We need center? to pick our own leaders. Mm -hmm. So people that are in our spaces that we might not think, I don't know. I met Stacy 10 years ago. I've known Joan for 10 years. I've known Amika for what, four or five years. If any of them have ever told me I ought to be an elected official, I'd be like, <laughs> bullshit. No, I'm not. That's not what I'm going to do. But now that I'm in the space, I need them to be a part of this policy making. We got to make policy. Y'all write the policy for us. You know how many organizations be like, here the policy. Like, here we go. That's the easy part. Us fighting and advocating for it is very different. They know how to cherry pick us off and they've done it historically. We can't do that anymore. I don't care what color you are. I don't care who you love. I don't care what kind of animals you like. What I want to know, are you going to roll up this, your sleeves and do this work with me? That's all I care about. Because at the end of the day, greed has no end. They're going to take it all if we let them. We don't have to. We are stronger in numbers. The thought that we got, and we call democratic socialists, don't, I ain't in the titles. I, <laughs> just not in the titles. I'm one, but I'm not in the titles. But the thought that Bernie is on this platform saying Medicare for all and housing for all and people are going, what the hell is he talking about? And that's too radical. It ain't radical when y'all spending $80 million on war on overseas that ain't got nothing to do with us. And we need to mind our own damn business. That ain't our business over there. I feel sorry for folks, and I got a bleeding heart, but we got our own shit right here. Let's fix that. And so don't leave us still be in those spaces. And we got to go back out door knocking. The shit that drives me nutty is you will come to my door and say, give me your vote. You get my vote, I don't see your ass no more till it's time to vote again. Or you want a turkey or a ham, or you, you, you want some, some donations, which I need plenty because I'm not a fundraiser. It ain't my thing. <laughs> it just ain't my thing. But... You got to you gotta stay in that space with us. So me and Amika, we fight all the time because it's like, don't be calling me to come to your event. Come to my office and help me out. And she don't really got time, but and I'm putting on blast because she kept messing with you. But I'm, I'm, So I'm helping you back out. But we need y'all to be back in those spaces. Don't leave us. It's hard. I, I get up every day like, who in the hell made me sign up for this? And then Joan, who works in my office, go, how did you trick me into working here? <laughs> like, that's what friendship does, sweetie. 
<laughs> well, I'm glad that we had the uh, the space for you to publicly call out Amiga for not helping. That's really good. I'm glad. I feel like we've done our job today. So we're gonna switch things up a little bit, and Daniel and I are gonna get out of the way, and we are gonna turn things over to Asha to facilitate for y'all to be more in the conversation. And we're going to let y'all be in conversation with the wonderful Jeanette Taylor. So we're going to move out the way and we're going to turn things over to Asha for a second. Okay. Um, So the way this next part of the conversation is going to work is I'm going to invite some volunteers to come to to start to come up here and sit sit with us um, on the panel. And if anybody has ever been in like a workshop where they did something called a fishbowl, this is kind of like that, except we're not in a circle. I'll ask some questions. We'll be in conversation. Feel free to throw out some questions of your own. Um, and then essentially how it will work is other folks who want to chime in in the conversation from the audience. And I encourage as many people as possible, this whole thing's about political participation, um, to come up here and you can kind of tap or like eye contact and do a little nod with somebody um, and take their place. And so really the only rules for it are don't tap somebody out before they've gotten a chance to speak. Um, And then just be, you know, be mindful, right? If you're up here and you're taking up a lot of space and talking, maybe like lean to let somebody tap you out. If you noticed it's a very male dominated or white dominated conversation, like let's all step into noticing those things. Make sense? Can I get some thumbs, some snaps, some, some something? Okay, cool. Um, so for the two folks who just joined us up here, I want to invite you to share with us uh, your name. And if you want to do a talk your shit, you can uh, do that as a way of entering the conversation. And then I'll ask some questions. My name is Kylie Johnson. I'm a graphic designer. I'm into marketing. And I really don't have no shit to talk, really, because I'm just here to really learn as much as I can because, you know, I'm pretty new to politics and I don't want to talk shit about things I don't really know about, you know. (laughs) Hey, I'm Evan. Uh, I'm here from Milwaukee to be here today. And um, can I talk my shit? Talk your shit. All right. So (laughs) I believe... Uh, in a world where public transportation is free for everyone and it is vast and you can get from 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 city to city from state to state and actually let me let me back up because I don't I don't believe in those concepts um, I believe in knocking down borders I believe in abolishing the idea of citizenship and uh, uh, you know, allowing people to live their lives freely and with autonomy and collectively. Uh, but it's unelectable. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for, for once again modeling that for us. So the first question I just want all of us to kind of join in discussing is, so we did this defining the public thing in the beginning. So given how we define that, um, the question is just who protects the public in the communities that we're currently in? Well, um, I wouldn't say the police. I would, um, I don't know, it's, 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 it kind of seems like we're just kind of like trying to govern ourselves and trying to like navigate this system the best way we can. So as far as protection goes, I think self-protection and self-accountability is a big is a big thing because... Um, I, w- I was at you know Senator um, Robert Peters, I believe, 
he said that there were 12 mental health institutions that were closed. And I think that mental health and emotional health and overcoming trauma is really a big thing, you know, especially in the black community, because we've endured so much trauma, you know, and trauma that we're not even aware of that our ancestors have endured that's, that's passed down to our families. And it's like, a, it's like an unconscious thing. So I think um, more focus on building more mental health institutions to help people overcome those mental um, instabilities or traumas, if they have it, will help them protect themselves. Uh, so the question is who protects the public? We all do. We all have a responsibility to protect each other uh, and to, to make sure that we're good, that all of us are good. Um, I'm going to ask a follow-up and di direct it at you, um, which is what is at stake if we leave that responsibility just up to the government, to the state, to people in elected or non-elected office? Like what's at stake if we just, you know, elect people, vote, and then say, okay, it's your job to make sure we're all good? The shit we got now. <laughs> <laughs> the corruption and chaos and foolishness that exists in our world. The thought that you got people who would go on strike for 11 days for a nurse, a psychiatrist, and to just have a, 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 a one to 20 ratio with young people in the classroom, that ain't no shit we should strike about. That's, but we pay millions of dollars to put the police in them same buildings. Mm, kind of doesn't make sense. We're living in all of the things that we've allowed government to control with really no accountability to us. And I still say us because I still, I don't consider myself the, the average and the regular politician, but I am only as strong as the people who stand behind me. And the power that I got, if you're conscious and you're really woke, is power borrowed from the people. They're allowing me to flex their power. It, it ain't my power. I only got a little. The power that I got came from the people. And so I don't forget that. And I think in this, just this whole democracy we've forgotten that like people elect folks into office and then you got a person that'll say i'm gonna take away your power but that power is being transferred somewhere else and somebody else is making that decision so what the hell do we got a democracy for why are we having elections like that 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 idiot in the white house like nobody can really control what he does or they don't even try and we got into this republican uh, Democrat, I don't give a shit. Y'all all are fucking us over. Every last one of y'all. Because you all are not doing anything to hold that man accountable, number one. And on our watch, we got babies as young as three months locked up in the detention center. That shit is morally sickening. And at the end of the day, if we stand back and go, well, you know, I'm a Republican, I got to vote with the Republicans, or I'm a Democrat, I, that's bullshit. That is bullshit. And so when do we come to a space where we all say the hell with your, your categories, the hell with your Democrat and your Republican, and let's do what's right. And too often that's what's missing in the entire conversation. I don't got to watch the debates. I can go on Facebook. They tell you what happened blow by blow. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to waste my time. I already know who's been fighting for me since they got into the space. I know who's been fighting for me since they were young. So I ain't got to pick and choose. But at the end of the day, when do we get to the space to say, I don't care if you're black or white. If you're right, you're right. And that's what I want to go with. And too often, that's what we do. Yeah, so I want to say one thing, and I pass the mic. Uh, Jeanette, just in the last, like, 30 minutes, you have expanded my idea and imagination about what an elected official can be. Uh, you know, Milwaukee is another city, much like Chicago, 
full of quote unquote representatives that uh, are siloed, that cannot be found, that don't have a care in the world for the people of the city of Milwaukee. And so truly uh, it's, 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 an, it's an inspiration and an honor. Um, so I'm going to just throw another question out there and feel free folks can ask questions they have or just speak what's on your heart as well. Um, but the question is just what's a time when you felt excluded from political decisions that were being made about you or that impacted you, but you felt like I'm not a part of this process. I'm not being reflected in in it, but it's having an impact on me. Well, well, well for me personally, I, I was never really in. When I was growing up, I had an interest in like the war in Iraq when I was back in elementary school and I heard them learn about 9-11 and then they were like, you're a kid. You don't have to worry about that. All you got to do is worry about playing, going to school and, you know, getting good grades and that kind of thing. So I guess I was never really motivated or pushed to even pursue politics, you know. I've always heard bad things about politics just around my, my kin, around my family. So I wouldn't, you know, I, I guess I guess I would say for it would be like the people around me in my community because it was always about like like music and you know MTV and um, sports, you know that kind of thing. And um, they had this like the cool and the lame divide, you know, like if you, if you didn't do sports and if you wasn't doing this, then you're lame. And you know, there was a lot of alienation, you know, just within the people I was growing up around. So even if I had a natural instinct to get into politics, it will always be kind of like shot down because it's like, why are you into that? You know, it's so boring, you know? It kind of feels like it was kind of like self, um, it's like, it's like it's, it's the agenda that kind of pushes itself. It's like, it doesn't, no one needs to really like say, like no politician, like no officials like above in those uh, areas would have to say like, you, you're not a part of this. It was just kind of like, put in place due to the people I was around. Okay. Um, so the last question that I'm gonna ask is, um, if folks wanna speak about how this idea of electability or even just feasibility, right, beyond electoral politics, how that factors into your political participation, your political beliefs and your political decisions. Um, and then what's possible if we can kind of let go of that. Uh, sure. Uh, I think electability is probably the issue that stifled my politicization for so long. I mean, just feeling like these things that I felt were normal just weren't, you know, feasible under this government. Uh, but it wasn't until I actually had the courage just to like just disregard that uh, pessimism and just truly insert myself into like these radical spaces that. I didn't even know existed, uh, but it just started off by just going to a protest just like once. And then like somebody just talking to me and like inviting me to a BYP meeting actually back in 2014. And while I didn't join, it was very much like that was the start for me 100% five years ago, just going to one march. Um, I felt so excluded from the whole process. And it wasn't until like I saw that like, oh, like this is what this is. Like we all kind of feel excluded. That politicization seemed possible or feasible for me. Word, yeah. So, hi, I'm Jennifer. Um, <laughs> yay. Um, <laughs> thank you, Amika. Um, so, I got actually got my start in, uh, my politicization was through electoral politics. Um, so, I actually campaigned for Obama back in like 2008. 
um, at my school and we like registered like the most black voters. Um, but what I realized in like that position, it like limited like my radical imagination and like my radical potential. So even being involved within that process, I realized that it was very limiting to who I was as like a black person, who I was as a black woman um, and who I was as someone who identified as like a womanist. Um, and so it wasn't until I got into like more radical work with the Let Us Breathe Collective that I realized the my mind expanded, right? It expanded outside of electoral politics, expanded outside of um, whatever it was that people told me what politics were. Um, and so in my work with Let Us Breathe, I've, I've learned that I could build the world that I imagine. What I imagine is what I can see. Um, and so I think electoral politics kind of inhibited my imagination. And now that I've moved away from them, um, it's, the world has become anew. Um, and it's expanded for me in many different ways. My name is Joseph Williams. Actually, so... I was thinking about that that question like right before I got up here. I really wanted to say something about that. Um, I think the time for me when I felt, uh, you know, it was almost like I didn't have any control over it, and I couldn't. I could only do so much about it. It made me even want to organize parents at some point. I think it was when they went on strike for the CTU thing. I think that was one of the biggest things. Like it affected me and the kids, and it was like. Parents ain't have a real, real voice in that picture to be able to come to the table and say, hey, when it comes to the big stuff, we kind of pushed off sometimes. So I think that was the only part uh, of me that kind of really just felt like I didn't have a voice or didn't really couldn't. I just couldn't do so much. And I really wanted to do more about that situation. Um, but I strongly believe in what CTU was fighting for at the same time. So I still wanted to get out there on the front line and show support for it. Just kids from graduations to sports and looking at all of the things that affected the kids it was like man you know like a second question really quick is uh yeah anything is possible right um growing up and uh not originally um being so into politics but just it being around me and um living every day right there in the community and going through the everyday struggles that they claim that they fight for and uh just kind of going through that and like Shit, I know about that, you know, abandoning homes and all of this stuff that sits right there, freeing, getting shot. So you you kind of live that everyday experience to the point it's like, um, yeah, anything is possible if we let go that uh, frame of this is what we need to get here. Uh, we just have to go out and just continue to organize and, and be the people and be the voice uh, that we are. So I got politicized. Y'all not going to believe it when I was seven. I went to Mollison Elementary and we had this wonderful principal, little white lady about this tall, her name was Miss Stevenson. And at the time, ex-alderwoman Dorothy Tillman was on the LSC and the PAC at the school, on the PTA, because we didn't have, it wasn't PAC, it was PTA. And she said that this white woman shouldn't be in charge of this black school and they fired her. And I was heartbroken because for years I kept thinking like, what did Miss Stevenson do? Like, and so at that time, there were probably four white teachers there. Everybody else looked like me. Um, hell, I didn't know I was fat till I was in third grade. That was not anything that I heard from the people that I was around. And so I kept trying to figure out for years, like, what did Miss Stevenson do? Like, why was she ticking away from us? This was a woman that loved us. She cared for us. She corrected us. She used to always tell me, like, that mouth is going to do one of two things. It's going to get you in trouble or it's going to make you famous. And ta-da! <laughs> and so <laughs> I love Miss Stevenson, but I didn't understand it at that time why she was taken away from us. And I 
vow from that point on that I would always stand up for people. And so in the school where I was known as the big mouth girl, I was also known as the person that wouldn't allow anybody to get bullied. So now that I'm this grown woman, people are like, I knew it was going to happen. I knew you was going to be here. I'm like, I wish y'all have told me shit because <laughs> maybe I would have took another career. So, and I always felt like in this space as a parent, because I was a teen mother that I was wrong. Like, we don't have music. We don't have art. They took the librarian. Um, young people get shot around the community, and nobody comes and tell us that this is not wrong or it's not normal. And so for a while, I felt like, you wrong. This normal. People supposed to get shot in front of the school, and they pour a little bleach down, and you go to school. It's normal for young people to get snatched, and nobody looks for them. I started to normalize that stuff, but I knew it was wrong. And so once... I got to a certain age, which was like 30. And that's when I found Coco because I was like, I don't want nothing to do with politics. Politics, we get people fired. And Miss Stevenson still should be at this school. She shouldn't be anywhere. But then I noticed that you ain't got to get in politics. It's going to get into you. It does. And it's why you, you say parents are not home with their kids because they working 80 hours a week to try to pay the bills and keep some food. And I tell people, and this is the last thing I'll say is, I know what it feels like to go to bed hungry after you feed your kids. And that should not be a reality in one of the richest countries in the world. Um, yeah. Thank you all. Let's give it up for our participatory hey. panel. So we we're really excited to get to the next part of our show. You know, we heard some conversation around education, the way we learn about democracy and participation uh, in this conversation. And we have someone who is truly doing that work of fighting for students, teachers and public life in the city of Chicago here today. Folks, make some noise for Stacey Davis Gates. Hey. <laughs> First, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. I know that you rushed here. I know you had other other places where you was hey, at. Hey, I'm just missing arguments at bedtime. <laughs> so I, I want to start with, you know, we're, we're coming out of another valiant, very courageous teacher strike. Just make some noise and applause for the teacher strike. So now there's a little bit of a time and space from that very high intense mode and moment. Um, in retrospect, how did the Chicago teachers fight and work for the public? Um, that's a big question. Um, what I will say about the work at the union is that um, about 12 years ago, a group of us who worked um, in schools that were being closed, had been closed, um, worked in places where there wasn't enough of anything except for criticism, um, we said that we wanted to do something a little different. Um, it felt terrible to be in um, school communities that didn't have, but everyone around you, um, they told you what you, you didn't do well. Um, I guess I should just tell the story just um, quickly. Um, it was the 2004-2005 school year. Um, I taught at Inglewood. It was my first year in the Chicago Public Schools. And um, that spring in the Lorraine Hansberry Theater, and I say it like that for a reason, mm -hmm. in the Lorraine Hansberry Theater, Arnie Duncan came in and he said he was shutting us down because we weren't doing the right thing. And you know, I'm listening to it and I'm looking around and I'm trying to figure out, like, did you see the metal detectors? Did you see the stove in my classroom? I'm a history teacher. Um, do you see all of the police presence around our community when you drove up? Like, 
what ain't we doing right? You know what I mean? You know, it was just this dissonance at the time and trying to figure it out. Fast forward the next school year, I, I, start, I got a job at Clemente. And Clemente was a receiving school for the children who had gotten closed out of Austin. So you have black kids coming all the way from the, like, the west side to the Clemente um, Humble Park neighborhood, and they were not welcome. And they were not welcome because CPS has set up this space where um, test scores matter, discipline matter. Like you have this rating system basically that gets you closed down. And so if you see the kids from the school that just got closed down and you looking at them coming to your school, you like these children weren't welcome. And so um, this experience was happening all over the city. And it was a group of us um, who kind of said that our union should have a, a bigger voice in this, that um, we needed a place that had... Um, organization built in and that had resources and the ability to counteract the crap that was coming our way. What's something that you learned about small D democratic process from going through the process of the strike and kind of the mechanisms of that? Well, you know, I am triggered by the discussion that was just being had because I don't see your question as different from um, electability. Like, how does that happen? And I think that often enough, we don't give enough credence to how you create electability. Electability doesn't happen. You create it. And so it's about the organizing and the movements. Like, we don't want police in our communities to occupy us, right? We don't want them to kill us, right? We don't want that. And how many of us are talking to our grandmothers about that? Because they call the police. They think the police make us safer. And if you send a pollster right now to poll the 8th Ward, and you get a certain demographic, they will not think like we just said. Now, they would think it's a bad idea for people to be murdered by the police. They won't think in the same way that we're thinking. So I say that to say we have to create the thing that we want to see. That's what electability is. See, Jeanette just didn't get elected. Jeanette spent years on doors, years figuring out how to create a space where someone like her would be electable in the space in which she was elected. So we have to do the work for electability. It just doesn't happen. And that's the same thing for the strike. Yo, yeah. it was like 11 days. I am a mother. I know what 11 days looks like with children. I, I appreciate teachers. <laughs> it feels like 11 years. for, for it, it, It's a lot. And then it's uncertain. And then they call in your house telling you, well, maybe not tomorrow, all of the mis messages. And so what I would say that those 11 days, the grace that we receive from the city, the grace that we receive from parents and, and families across the city, that grace was about building trust with communities. I believe that you deserve to sit at the table. I believe that you should get a vote. I believe that your voice should go beyond the local school council and down to the board of education because it should be elected. I believe that you should be in the negotiating room because when you are doing the common good, those who have to benefit from the common good get to have a seat too. So I believe in that. Yeah. I'll show you. Yeah. Yeah. You wanna yeah um, so you talked a little bit about like electability just doesn't happen, right? You have to talk to people. And something that actually came up in the pair I was in talking about the public was this idea that, you know, the public is a lot of people who think a lot of different things. Um, so could you speak just a little bit of like, how do you navigate that in representing people who have a lot of different ideas and maybe some of whom have ideas that you think are harmful 
or not in line with, you know, the public good or whatever we want to call it. Fair enough. Um, we have a membership that um, lives in all 50 wards of this city. And we have a membership that doesn't always think in the way that we express. And that's okay. Organizing is meeting people where they are, but challenging them to be something different. And you get to lead that and you get to take risk with that and you get to be uncomfortable with that as well. It's not enough. Like we do polling, but we don't do polling to say what we can't do. The polling is to give us an indication of where people are rest so we can create the wrap and the strategy to move them. Right. This work is about growing and evolving and challenging and moving people. And so um, it is fundamentally about listening and being in dialogue and coalition. And it is also fundamentally about making people uncomfortable and moving them forward. So I have a big question. I want to just get that caveat. Oh, the other one is too specific. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about school and education itself, because I think um, one of the beauties of the strike is that it made people wake up in a sense of like, oh, we need to take, this is our responsibility. Uh, we need to look at what we have. And so with the R3 coalition, uh, we were able to have a, a shout out to R3, everybody in the house. Uh, we were able to have a teach in during the strike. And one of the things that arose was um, a, a very interesting, if not difficult contradiction is the fight that y'all were fighting, the fight for public education has been at the forefront of liberation, the forefront of black liberation for centuries now, right? Public education is a black idea, right. absolutely. And but however, the school as we know it as it's organized is a Western construct that I believe has supported colonialism and white supremacy. Absolutely. So that's the contradiction we're dealing with. So now the question, when I talk to people, particularly state agents, about participatory democracy, we need an elected school board, we need an elected civilian police accountability council, what they basically say is the people are not smart enough, right? Like that, that elections will be tinkered with, or people don't know, people don't show up, people don't care. People are not People are not prepared for democracy. And I always say, well, that is how we condition people in the society, and that happens in the schools. So how could we imagine now that we're having this conversation, the school being itself a politicizing space that enables people to be more participatory and make better decisions collectively? It is, I, I tried to warn everybody, I'm sorry. I'm Damon a big does question many asking. things he does not like. Yeah, <laughs> no, that is a big question. And I think it's a lot of different things. I don't think it's one thing in particular. Um, one of the things is curriculum and teachers having autonomy and space to build curriculum that's reflexive, responsive, um, relevant to the spaces in which we are educating. That's one thing that I think. I also think that it is important to have people in classrooms and in school communities that are native to the spaces in which students are um, in and out of. But I also think that the school itself has to be the center of the community and it has to be responsive to the needs and the um, determination of those in that community. That's why, I mean, look, we've been singing about elected school board for a very long time. The complication with that is that it won't be a panacea. That's the one thing that I agree with Lightfoot about is that she's right about that. And it also means we should do it, right? Mm -hmm. Right. For that very reason. It exposes Be where the fissures in the country. Absolutely are. it does. And what we don't do enough of is sit with what we don't understand and grapple with the, the contradictions and the inconsistencies and figure out either how to tolerate change 
or um, just sit with them until we can figure it out. But we don't do that because people take it and say that they could do it for us. What's most interesting in this moment, I don't know if you paid attention today to the Board of Education meeting, but the um, parents from Lincoln Park High School were there and it was deep. One of the things that the education reporters noted while they were there is how many times the parents went over their time limit. You know, you got to sign you got to sign up in advance. You are regulated to a time. If the room fills up before you get there, you are regulated to the overflow room. It is not participatory. It is not welcoming or, or open. It, it's one of the it's it's disempowering. But what I'm saying is that they told them your process sucks. And they don't understand that. They being CPS don't understand that because they've been practicing on people of color and poor people for a very long time doing the wrong thing. And so their process, they're looking and what they're going to say is that the white folks is racist and entitled. That is going to be the lesson that they leave there with. Not that your process is racist and entitled. And that these white folks, because they have power and privilege, can see it and call it out. And so this is what's going to be interesting. And so when I say you need that democracy, there is one thing that I learned growing up as a little girl is that white parents and white communities were intolerant. They had the privilege to be intolerant. And so the process, the, the, the way that people engage in those spaces are different because there was... If it wasn't a respect for the humanity in that space, it was a respect that you couldn't continue to bring in crap to them and they would be accepting of it. I never thought of intolerance in that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to that point, uh, and we're talking about the, the lessons that we learn early about these ideas of electoral politics and social movement. So do you remember what you were taught in school about how electoral politics works and what you were taught about like social movements and social history or like what you took from your in-school learning about those things? Um, I mean, like most little black kids, it was the autobiography of Malcolm X when we were, what, 11 or 12? <laughs> and we read it and we were like, okay, I can do that. You were early, man. Y'all yeah, was deep. 11 to 12, y'all was getting Not to it. That's <laughs> 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 middle school. Y'all was, yeah, that's yeah, cool. Yeah. That's what's up. So, what were you uh, reading in middle school? Nothing. <laughs> like boldly, like I didn't read none of that shit. Get that out of my face. <laughs> but you read it for your understanding at that time, too. I like, I, I do want to, like, reflect that. You read it for that particular understanding. Look, I think um, electoral politics, it was about the struggle to have it. It was less about what it was doing. It was about the struggle to obtain it and you have it so you flex it. So that was the electoral politics side of it. Um, the social movement side of it was was how you got there. Like the movement was always the vehicle, right, to get to the space, which is why I'm always very clear about how we're supposed to use electoral politics. It is a part of the thing. The social movement part is the most important part. If, if, if there's a continuum, if there's a mechanism, it is the movement part. And what I am so proud of my union is that we have used the strike to open up discussions about the public good and how you transform not just the school, but the spaces in which the schools exist. Like this whole discussion about affordability and housing and homelessness and, 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 and the way that like folks wanted us to feel uncomfortable about it. 
Like, so you go into a classroom and you look at human beings who do not have a place to live and you tell me that that's not something that should be at the bargaining table, right? The humanity of the people that you are dealing with is at the bargaining table. Don't apologize for it. Don't shrink. And and then when people tell you that you can't, that means that you can. Mm, that's beautiful. So last question uh, to that Maybe point. Maybe I might have one more. <laughs> Last question for me. Uh, what would you ask of the public to help the protection continue that y'all are doing? We need to transform environment and spaces. Like in order for this city to transform, it is not going to be at the ballot box um, on March 17th. That's a part of it. But in order for, so I remember Jay Travis, 2014, um, she ran for state reps, uh, House District 26. And Jay is like one of the best people that I've ever met, period, hands down. She's a beautiful, beautiful woman um, and powerful. That's a strong shout out for Jay. Yeah. Jay, shout out Coco again. Uh, Absolutely, right? And so Jay ran for state rep. So you go get polling done. And the polling tells you that these are the three issues that the public is going to respond to or the voting electorate is going to respond to. And this is how you focus your campaign. Jay ran on everything that was not in that poll, (laughs) not in the top three. But what it did with that project, that experiment, what that experience did is that it said that you you can figure out how to change the electorate. So Jay Travis was brave enough to say that people, city workers who are predominantly people of color, who are predominantly female, deserve their retirement security. And I'm going to run on that. And I'm going to make it a racial justice issue. She said that families deserve to have a voice in their students' education. And so I'm going to run on that one, too. We need an elected school board. And then number three, she said privatization is a tool of capitalism that actually doesn't help us. And I'm going to run on that, too. And now every election past 2014, everybody running on it. (laughs) Because she shifted being the leader of that in that moment, but also all of the people who were knocking on doors and making phone calls we helped to shift the electorate while all of the other stuff was going on. It was a manifestation of that same movement from 12, from 16, from 19, when we were in these contract campaigns that manifested in the electoral space. You get to shift it. So what I would say is that, yeah, I like to win. I'm competitive. <laughs> Let me get that out. And if you are in movement work, you better have a goal, a go, a go, a go, a go. And you better be able to check boxes as you're doing the work. And every idea and every project and every experiment has to have the element of that because what you are seeking is total transformation. And every single thing should build into that big, big thing that you're talking about. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. I promise this is all I got. It's not that big either. <laughs> um, so part of why we're doing this is because it's 2020 and there is... A, a national political climate, right? And like us as movement folks, we're always, you know, local focus as we should be. Uh, but for you in your position with CTU, um, what do you see in the national political discussion about education that affects schools here in Chicago? Oh, absolutely. So first thing I want to say, shout out to Chicago for making it possible for Bernie Sanders. Ooh. Um, <laughs> So I want to and and I say that because you got six Democratic Socialists in Cook County, the city of Chicago, in the city council. 
And one of the hardest places it is to run in electoral politics, there are six identifiable, identified, self-identifying democratic socialists. That is a big deal. And that is why you can see Bernie at the top of polls right now. That's a real thing. So shout out for us for making a way in Chicago against one of the worst neoliberal uh, leaders in the world, <laughs> right? In history, I hear you. Um, I'm sorry, you asked. Oh, Bernie Sanders. Um, about education. <laughs> oh, you didn't say oh, Bernie Sanders. I did it. Said I 2020. But <laughs> 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 well, we can go down whatever rabbit hole you take us. <laughs> but if we're talking Bernard, myself. let's talk Bernard. You know? um, listen, it's not education. It's the it's the whole community. And we keep picking off public education as if, like, if we fix that, then everything else is fixed. No. Um, public education is a manifestation of what isn't working in that space. So, number one, get rid of standardized testing. If we, look, do not think, yep, yeah, say, that, that. say that. I swear this is a joke on historians and history teachers for us not to understand that standardized testing is the basis for the reinforcement of white supremacy. It has nothing to do with anything else. And if you use it, if you legitimize it, if you, if you cleave to it, you are wrong. And I'm going to say that again. I don't, my kids like, mama, I'm taking a test and I'm like, and whatever. And they send this stuff home and I'm like, whatever. You know, that's for them. That's not for us. So number one, I think that anyone who was talking about anything less than eradicating standardized testing doesn't have it right. That's number one. Number two, I think that we have to get to the point of where the, the school space is a community space, sustainable community schools. That's the thing here in Chicago. We have about 20 of them. We got that in the 2016 contract. Um, they re-upped it in this contract. School is community, period. Um, I think we also have to be real clear about funding. Anyone who tells you that money doesn't matter want you to be poor yeah that means they got money <laughs> right 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 and, and, and they use that on uh black communities all, all the time meanwhile schools everywhere else you know and so we have to be very clear about we fund priorities they have to be equitable and and unflinching about that but it, it, it's a it's so much more you're still not gonna have like this whole jeffrey canada lie that we can build like a block full of schools and make everything good that's cool for that block, but it's more blocks in the city. It's more blocks in the state and in the country. And so how do we scale up and provide resources and agency, you know, to entire communities? Look, mom and dad need a job. That's how you help schools, right? The communities that people exist in have to have resources. They have to be safe, free of pollutants, right? If you're still living in a space that has lead and you giving me a test again, what would you think you're going to give, right? People need jobs. They need access to health care. People need to be healthy. If you have a toothache and can't go to the dentist and you're in my classroom, what is that worth to anyone? So it's not just the school. Free health care. Parents need to be able to work and earn a living wage. 15 is still too low. So these are all of the things that impact the school house. If you are housing insecure, if you are food insecure, the school can only do but a thing. Yeah, that's a nice Thank you. And I don't have a question. I do want to say one thing to you, though. Thank you so much for your work. Uh, I know, obviously, y'all are a team, and people don't like getting like the individual shout out. Um, but you have moved with such like power 
and ferocity when it's needed, but vulnerability when it's needed, and honesty. Um, and you know, the CTU strike, what Ergo does is try to document the movement. Um, and as we started out, so many young people said they were politicized by the teacher striking, right? And so now we're looking, and it's, it's years later, and to see how y'all keep the fight going. Everywhere I go, people are so proud of you and the example that you have have led for us, and um, I'm getting a little emotional. I, I, I'm just very grateful, uh, and and I admire you so, and we appreciate the work that you've done for our people. Oh yeah, Thank you. folks, make some noise. Oh, wait, give, oh, give, oh, me oh, oh. give me a minute, but I do want to say this: um, adults get comfortable and conservative because mortgage, because children, because healthcare. It's just a fact of life, right? And what I will say is that the black youth in Chicago, um, when that video came about with Lacan McDonald and y'all didn't flinch, y'all didn't ask for permission, y'all did it. And anyone who was available to witness that who were not challenged to be better and to speak louder and to go harder, you missed the moment. And so what I'm going to say is that my vulnerability, my honesty, my courage, my strength, like y'all helped the sister out. Y'all helped the sister out. Yes. Thank you. Woo. And with that, everybody, make one more round of applause. And thank you to Stacy Davis Gates. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Whew. Well, we've we've come to we've the time it. of the show. Does anybody want to talk their shit one more time before we get out of here? All right. Can I talk my shit? Talk, talk your shit. So I think for for Stacy and for Jeanette, to me it's still an experiment with like what happens if you put socialist aldermen in city hall, but um, they will at we the fuck see. out of you is apparent. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, Willie Cochran never flamed me in a crowd like that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> These neoliberals don't throw no shade. <laughs> but it's it's like the possibility of like a young, like 17-year-old pregnant girl who's like, my life is about to end, you know? Everything is gonna be over. I can't be anything. I'm just another statistic, right? Is seeing possibility like for Jeanette, right? And and Stacy. Like, I feel like people didn't pay enough attention that I wanted to this, that's petty, next question, right? Like, <laughs> like there's still so much, um, like, respectability politic that we take in, right? And, like, fear of being, you know, unapologetically black. And there's a whole, I forget what they're called, but there's a MAGA caucus in the, like, in CTU, you know? who has this black ass vice president <laughs> just being black as hell in these press conferences. And I was just like, whoa, I had to watch it like three times, right? And then sent it to a whole bunch of people to say like, like let's just think even about like our moms and aunts and grandmothers, code switching them up, like, you know, like uh, like back and forth, right? To, to a point of like, it has to sound like different voices in your head and how do you reconcile all that? And to see somebody just like, nah, I'm gonna do this, right? And now now we're in conversation about like, and how do we create that possibility in schools for little black girls where they still can't be, you know, as black as, as you, right? Um, and so like that, that possibility of like, I can just go on TV and be like, that's petty. 
Next question. <laughs> Don't say that shit no more. Cause she lied. She lied. That's what she did. Lightfoot lied. Like that is amazing. <laughs> you got one more. One last. Is it so? Is this shit to be talked? This is shit to be talked. No. I just wanted to cuss. I don't get a chance to say this a lot. <laughs> got kids at home, so I don't get a chance to say this a lot. Um, but no, uh, I, I just want to give a, a, a big just a, a head off to Stacey and, and Jeanette for coming out tonight because uh, I just think they are a powerful voice here in Chicago, and I think we're gonna see so much more coming from them. And just to talk about their standardized standardized testing to me is is really honestly uh, it, it contradicts. No child left behind uh, when I see that all the time. I, I just think, like, it don't even make sense. But anyway, go. Um, I had a pleasure being here tonight, and I'm so glad I came out to uh, hear you guys. You guys have motivated me, and I think it's a learning experience uh, just to continue to learn more and gain as much knowledge as possible. So I love it, and uh, just plan to see you guys and all of the work you're doing. Hell yeah. Thank you. One, one last one. Wow, he gave us an outro. Da Damn. <laughs> Damon, um, I just was wondering if you could give a shout out to the young, powerful voices that are organizing for Douglas Park with an S. Oh, yes, I say. Uh, so two, two, one, one update on that and then, and then another call to action and we're going to get out of here. Uh, so for folks who don't know, um, Stephen Douglas was a senator in Illinois um, and he, from the North, uh, was the leading supporter of slavery in the 1860s, right? We think of it as a, a Southern thing. He was a Northern plantation order, owner, and he was the, the pro-slavery guy from up North. He, people love him in Chicago. He's got one of the biggest tombs in the city. Also one of our biggest parks, Douglas Park, uh, is named after him. So in North Lawndale, a predominantly black area, this huge park with all of these spaces is named after a slave-owning pro-slavery legislator. Uh, so the young people at Village Leadership Academy, would you like to say anything to it? Or? All right, so Ms. Pagan is leading the grassroots campaign. Hi, um, so didn't expect this. Thank you though, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I work with uh, kids at Village Leadership Academy and we've been working on a campaign to change the name of Douglas Park for the past four years. It's currently named after slaveholder Stephen Douglas and we want to change to be named after Frederick Douglas. Um, yeah. Um, so the kids have really been working tirelessly for the past four years. They collected a lot of petition signatures. We've went canvassing and we've been at board meetings. And really what they're learning through this process is the limits of representative government um, and how people who claim that they have their needs in mind actually don't have their needs in mind and don't respond to the needs of community. Um, so right now what you can do to support us is follow us on Instagram at VLA underscore change the name and you can sign the petition today and you can sign the petition there um, and kind of see what we said in front of the board last week and kind of our next steps for the campaign. Thank you, thank you. And one last call to action is everybody. Uh, we need to all know that we have a very important and contentious state's attorney's race coming up. Uh, so you and all your people have to be active and be mobilized. So, you know, there's always this movement tension of unless you are really, really our people, right? We don't really go for. Uh, but however, the opponent right now is dangerous. Uh, so the people opposing Kim Fox are promoting what I call fascism. Uh, and so if you 
are not aware and you are a voting eligible in Chicago and you feel like participating, it is of great urgency, even though there's complications, right? Because Kim Fox has not done all of the things that we've asked for that she may have promised to movement, right? So we got to live within that nuance, but then there's real people and real consequence that's going on. So everybody needs to know that that is something tangible, that is something you can do. We talked all day about how electoral politics suck, but in sometimes it has very, very, very real consequence. And this is one of those times. So everybody, please, please pay attention. And if you're getting excited to go do your primary vote on that ballot, is also the race for the state's attorney. Pay attention and participate. What you say, Bill? As Bill Ayers is saying, tell your white fans to vote for Kim Fox because we already know what's going on. <laughs> all right. So thank you all so much for being here. We want to do one last thing. We're going to do a little call and response. This is electable. Okay. Cool. This, like is your, this is your domain. I like though, it, but you take response. it. You got it. Yikes. Um, all right. This is electable. 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 Hey. We appreciate y'all. Thank, so Thank you so much for coming out. out. Thank you to Black Youth Project for making this possible. Thank, Thank you to the Silver Room. Thank you to so you our can buy something. Come back and buy something that's made in space. Thank you to our co-host Asha Ransby Sporn. Make some noise for Asha. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you, Jeanette. Thank y'all. We're at Ergo Radio. I'm Damon underscore AF. Ergo Kiss. And we'll be back next week with another conversation showcasing the folks reshaping Chicago for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. <laughs> Rosie. Daniel. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Look who's here in the studio. It's me. How's it feel to be in here? Well, I was a little nervous uh -huh. earlier, but mm -hmm. now I'm a little more calm. Wonderful. And I'm staring directly <laughs> into your eyes. But we do that all the time anyway. Yeah, but there's not always all this equipment in between us. Well, maybe this will help. Let's play a game. Okay. So I'm thinking maybe like a taboo. Taboo. Like I'll give you some clues and then you'll have to guess what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Does that know, make sense? I know how to play taboo, Daniel. Oh, you'd prefer if I did not taboo explain? Yes, please. All right, let's get started. Timer on the clock. Ooh. All right, first up. Okay. It's an independent podcast app. Got it. It embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Mm -hmm. It has no exclusives. Mm -hmm. No premium content. All right. No paywalls. Great. And it's a great podcast app for everyone. Mm-hmm. Do you think you know it? I think I do. Huh. What do you think it is? Sounds like the Overcast app. Beep, 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 beep. Toots got it. Yay. Look at that. I win. Nicely done. How does one get the app? Well, if one were to want to get the app, one could get it for free in the app store. Fantastic. Cool. You going to check it out? I might. Very wonderfully noncommittal. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's get out of here. Bye.